Hey church, I am so glad you guys are here. Man, God has been so gracious and loving to myself this week and to each and every one of you guys. And I hope you guys have felt and experienced God's grace even this week. Man, it amazes me that God chooses to use someone like me. I'm not worthy. I, I don't deserve to be up here, but yet God chooses to use me, and it humbles me greatly. And I'm glad that you guys are here, and God wants to use you as well. This morning, I titled this morning's message, The Modern Church's Biggest Problems. The Modern Church's Biggest Problems. Over the last year and a half, two years or so, I've struggled with this question. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. You know, there's so many different questions that come with it. What does it mean to be a disciple? Who are disciples? Is there a difference between being a disciple and a follower? Is there a difference between being a disciple and a Christian? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And man, I have struggled and wrestled with this question over the last two years, and I, I've seen what the scripture has had to say about it, and as I've come to this conclusion, I've come with a great fear that as I look at being a disciple and look at discipleship in itself, my fear is this, it is our modern church's biggest problems, and we're going to look at why this morning. You know, so many different churches, they use the term disciple. I interned at a church in Grand Rapids for a summer, and uh, their whole motto, their theme was being disciples, making disciples. They had it on their shirt with their logo, and it was cool, I still have the shirt, Lori wears it sometimes, it's, it's a cool shirt. And I was like, dude, that's a cool thing, being disciples, making disciples, nice. And you know, our church here at Anchor Church, we are a church that makes disciples who worship, walk, uh, witness, and I'm missing one, worship, walk, work, and witness for Christ. Don't want to forget that. And so we are a church that does, makes disciples though. And every church, you, you go down the road to Moraine Valley, or you go to Mosaic and Joliet, you go to a different church here in the Chicago area, their mission, some sort, is going to be following Jesus or being a disciple for Jesus. And church today has become so familiar with, we are disciples for Jesus. We make disciples. That's what the church does. But someone who grew up in church his whole life came to the point two years ago where I was like, what does it even mean to be a disciple? It's used so oftentimes in our church language that we just assume, hey, I, I take on the name disciple because it's used so much in the church. Or the church makes disciples, I go to church, so I must be a disciple. But the question is, what does it mean to be a disciple? And church, I think it's going to be a great encouragement for us this morning. You know, the first passage I want to go to this morning is Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you're familiar with it, it says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Man, I've been in so many different churches that have had this in their auditorium or they've had it in their foyer or their lobby, painted on the walls, hanging on a plaque. Every church has this motto, go and make disciples. But my belief this morning is, us as the church, we have failed at following this command. We're going to pray and we're going to get into this morning's message. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I'm so thankful for your grace and mercy on my life. Lord, I'm so thankful that I'm able to have a relationship with you. Lord, I'm so thankful for the privilege it is to be used by you. Lord, there is nothing better than following you. 
God, I pray this morning as we look into your word, we look what it means to be a disciple and what discipleship consists of. God, will you touch our hearts? Will you change us this morning? Will you make us to be disciples who make disciples today? God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So the first point I want to go over, as you notice, I only have two points this morning. The first point is this. Who are true disciples? Who are true disciples? Like I said, the church uses this term disciples so often. We are a church that makes disciples, or we are a church that we follow Jesus. And so, so oftentimes, us as the church, because we go to church, because we associate with the church, oh, I go to Anchor Church, and Anchor Church makes disciples, so that must mean I am a disciple, right? Because they say they make disciples, and I go to church, and I go to small groups, so I must be a disciple, right? So who are true disciples? And church, my fear this morning is this. We are a church filled with people that think they're disciples, but they're truly not. Say, Thomas, that's a harsh judgment. Well, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at Scripture, see what Scripture has to say about being a disciple, and then I'm going to ask you to check your heart and say, am I a true disciple of Jesus? So the first passage I'd like to come to, the first subpoint is this, the cost for discipleship. The cost for discipleship, and our first passage we're going to take a look at is Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, Jesus lays out the cost for discipleship. Luke 14, verse 25 is where we're going to start reading. And the Bible says this. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, whether the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33. Verse 33 says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Man, the first time I heard this passage was a few years ago, and I got immediate red flags. I said, time out. There is no way that this, this is like super contradicting. Like, no way God said both, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself, and then he says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to hate your family, hate yourself, hate others. This doesn't make sense. And so I immediately said, okay, okay, something's going on here. How could the same guy that came and said, hey, the two great commandments that I give you, love God and love others, come and say, hey, if you want to follow me, you have to hate everyone else. I, it didn't make sense to me. And so as I began to study it, the better way of putting this verse would be this. Luke 14, 25 or 26, if anyone comes to me and does not love me more than he loves his father or mother wife and children and his own life, you can't be my disciple. 
Well, what is Jesus teaching here? He's teaching the simple truth that in your life, you cannot love anything more than you love Jesus. You see, if you want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus calls you to love him more than anything else. And so oftentimes in our, in our modern culture, Jesus is just a part of our life when Jesus has called us to be completely in Jesus' life. Like, Jesus has called us to live the life Jesus has called us to live, but yet we are so concerned and consumed with other things of this world. The great example is four chapters later in Luke 18. Will you guys look down at Luke 18 with me? We're going to start at verse 18. And a ruler asked him, so this young ruler is coming to Jesus, and he says this, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 19, the Bible says, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Verse 20, you know the commandments, Jesus is talking here, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Verse 21, and he said, all these, this is the young ruler talking, and the young ruler said, all these I have kept from my youth. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, come and follow me. Verse 23, when the rich young ruler heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. You see, a few weeks ago, we talked about Solomon, and we learned Solomon had it all. Man, Solomon, he, he had wealth and riches and wisdom. He, he had everything that he wanted. And when we come to this rich young ruler, I kind of think him kind of like Solomon. Man, he has this, he has the wealth, he's young. What young kid doesn't want to be wealthy? Man, I'm 23 years old, and if someone came and offered me a million dollars, it would be really hard for me just to turn that down. Like, I'd be like, dude, just, just to give to me? I'll take it. I have so many friends that are so consumed with this idea that, hey, I'm going to invest in real estate right now, and by the time I'm 30, I'm going to retire. I'm not going to work another day in my life, and I'm going to be a millionaire because young people my age, they want to be rich. It's this dream that, man, I would just love to be rich, and this guy, he had it. He's young, he's rich, and whatever he wanted, he snapped his finger and he got it. Man, if he wanted an elephant or a giraffe, he said, hey, I'm going to pay for an elephant or a giraffe. And then he hears about this guy, this, this prophet or this teacher or this Messiah, and he's, he's talking about eternal life. And he's like, man, you're talking about this eternal life. I have all that I want, but I don't have this eternal life. How, how do I get this? So this, this young, rich ruler comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to get this eternal life that you talk about? And Jesus, he, he counteracts it with, hey, well, you've followed all these commandments, and Jesus starts listing the, old, the Ten Commandments, and he said, hey, I followed this, those since I was young. You know, when I first read this passage again, I kind of got those red flags, because that sounded like works for salvation, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Bible says that you don't need to work, it's all by the grace of God, but yet you're telling this guy that he's got to go do a work to be saved. What is Jesus talking about here? What Jesus is meaning right here, Jesus understood what it meant to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and he said, hey, you're missing one thing. You can come and follow me, you can be my disciple, but you're missing one thing. First, you need to go get rid of your top priority. You need to go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. 
your, your great riches that you've worked so hard for, or if you inherited, or you love so much, go get rid of it, and then come follow me. You see, what was Jesus teaching here? That nothing in life can be more important than following Jesus. Church, my fear is this. This morning, we think we are disciples because we go to church. We think we're disciples because we follow Jesus. We, we think we're disciples because we're in a small group or sometimes we read our Bibles. So that has to make us a disciple, right? Church, Jesus' requirement for discipleship is literally nothing can be more important than Jesus. Currently, I'm in Old Testament history for my seminary class. And we're learning about all the ancient Near East, uh, all their little like tribes uh, and the false gods that they would worship. And they would bow down to the sun god and the water god and the rain god. And they had all these different gods. And it was known as idolatry. They had these idols in their lives. You know, and I don't know. I haven't been to all of your houses. I've been to some of your houses. But I don't think we struggle with idolatry like the Israelites did in the Old Testament. I haven't been to your house. But I don't think you guys are bowing down to idols if I were to come over. But I do think in our modern church today that we struggle with a different type of idolatry. And that's the idolatry of putting things in life over Jesus. Some examples are our job, our family, our, our success, our wealth, our social status. We put all these things in the place where Jesus Christ should be. And we think these are our top priority. We think these things are so important that these things are what matters in life. And so oftentimes we get sidetracked, and when life gets busy and times get tough, our focus has become our top priority. When in reality, true disciples, their top priority is nothing but Jesus Christ. You see, so oftentimes when life gets tough and life gets hard and you, you're like, man, something's got to go. I, I don't have time for everything I'm doing right now. So oftentimes, the first thing to go is our relationship with Jesus. And we're 14 days into November, and if I was to ask you over the last 14 days, hey, over the last 14 days, how many days have you spent in a relationship, in a growing relationship with Jesus? What would your honest answer be? Okay, we just finished October, 31 days there, and the 31 days, church, how many days did you spend time in a growing relationship with Jesus? But Thomas, you don't understand, my life got really busy. And when, when my life gets busy, I just don't have time for it. So as you don't understand, my relationship is so important to me right now. My, my, my husband or my wife, our, our relationship is struggling and we're trying to fix it. This is more important than my relationship with Jesus. No, what's more important is you get on your hands and knees and say, God, will you fix this? Nothing should be more important than your relationship with Jesus. And so oftentimes in our life, when life gets busy, life gets hard, times get tough, our first priority is to turn to other things that we think are our priority. And what that does is it shows us where our heart truly is. Church, my question this morning is, where is your heart? Jesus says, if you want to follow me to this entire crowd, if you want to follow me, your family can't be more important than me. Your job can't be more important than me. Your success in life, your wealth, nothing can be more important than me. What needs to be top priority is your relationship with me. And church, here's what happens. When Jesus is your top priority, your love for him pours out. When Jesus truly is your top priority, that's not a question if you're going to go to church and worship him on a Sunday morning. 
When Jesus is your top priority, it's not going to be a question if you're going to go and serve in the church. When Jesus is your top priority, it's not going to be a question if you're going to read your Bible or if you're going to go to small group or if you're going to go to a Bible study. Why? Because Jesus is your top priority. And what your top priority is, that is what you make the most time for. And if Jesus is your top priority, you will have a growing relationship where you're part of the body, you're worshiping Christ, you're using the gifts and blessings God has given you to be a blessing to the church. But church, if your top priority isn't Jesus, and it's your job, or it's your family, or it's your own selfish ambitions, the first thing that seems to go is, oh, times, times are getting a little busy. I don't have time to go to church this morning. Times are getting a little busy. I, I don't have time to read my Bible today. You know, you don't understand my, my relationship here. I'm, I'm trying to fix it, so I, don't, I would rather spend time in this relationship rather than going and studying God's Word. You know, it, it's, just, it's just, Thomas, you don't understand. No, no, here's the truth that God, that Jesus was demonstrating. If you want to be a disciple, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, nothing can be more important Jesus. Church, this morning, I ask you to check your hearts. So oftentimes, we just take on the role of, I'm a disciple. I go to church. Check. Sometimes I read my Bible. Check. I'm in a Bible study. Check. But when it comes down to the cost of discipleship, Jesus says, you have to make me first. Church, who is the king of your hearts? What is the king of your hearts? If it is not Jesus, church, I must say, you're not a true disciple. True disciples put Jesus first. Discipleship will cost you everything. It's going to cost you your literal life. And church, I want to say this, discipleship is the hardest thing you will ever do. Being a disciple will be the hardest choice you ever make and will be the hardest thing you ever do. In my life, the hardest thing I've ever done is making the decision I'm going to follow Jesus. Because every single day, my flesh doesn't want to follow Jesus. Who I am as Thomas Webb doesn't want to follow Jesus. My flesh wants nothing to do with Jesus. My flesh wants sin. My flesh wants gratification. My flesh wants what it wants. But Jesus, he has died and he has saved me. He's made me new. He's given me new life. And he's saying, have a relationship with me. And my flesh and my spirit are at war. And it's the hardest thing I do every day is following Jesus. Who am I going to follow today? Being a disciple is the hardest thing you're ever going to do. The hardest decision you will ever make in life is, am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? It is the hardest decision you will ever make. But church, can I say this? It is the best decision you will ever make. It's incredible to think that when Jesus went to the early disciples in Matthew chapter 4, he went to James and John and Peter and Andrew, and he said, hey guys, I know you guys just finished your, your fishing because you guys are fishermen in your career. And he goes to them and he says, hey, I want you guys to follow me. You know what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4? Matthew chapter 4, it says this about the disciples. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20, don't miss this. This is incredible. Immediately, they left their nets 
and followed him. Verse 21, and going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, verse 22, immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. You see, Jesus, he went to normal fishermen. No one special, just some normal fishermen. And he said, hey, guys, follow me. And there, there wasn't this, I don't know, sh- should we? Like, can I go like, talk with my wife about it? Can, can I go back and let me talk with my business partners because I'm, I'm, this is my business, this is my career. Like, you don't understand. You're asking me to like, give this up. Jesus knew exactly what he was asking. And what amazes me is immediately, these four guys said, God, I'm yours. God, my career, don't worry about it. My family, it's not more important than you. Immediately, they followed Jesus. And church, God used his 12 apostles, ordinary men. Sometimes they were failures to change the world. Why? Because they made the decision, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to leave it all behind. I'm going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Church, check your heart. Who has your heart? What has your heart? My fear this morning is this. We're a church that thinks they're disciples but truly, something other than Jesus has your heart. Church, if something other than Jesus has your heart this morning, come back to the Father and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I want to follow you, God. You are most important in my life. That's the cost for discipleship. Church, it's going to cost you everything. But the second point under who are true disciples, it's this. The change brought about by discipleship. As I was studying this week, I read this, and I I think it's so good. The change brought about discipleship, this was in an article I read. It said, it's impossible to be a disciple or a follower of someone and not end up like that person. Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher, Luke 6.40. That's the whole point of being a disciple of Jesus. We imitate him, we carry on his ministry, we become like him in the process. Yet, somehow, many have come to believe that a person can be a Christian without being like Christ. A follower who doesn't follow. How does that make any sense? Many people in the church have decided to take on the name of Jesus and nothing else. This would be like Jesus walking up to the first disciples and saying, Hey, would you guys mind identifying yourselves with me in some way? Don't worry, I don't actually care if you do anything I do or if you change your lifestyle at all. I just, I'm just looking for people who are willing to say they believe in me and call themselves Christians. Church, who are true disciples? True disciples are changed by their creator. True disciples are changed by Jesus Christ. Church, Jesus, when he went to the cross and he died on the cross and then he rose again three days later, did not go to the cross and suffer all of that anguish just to give you new life for you to go back and continue to live in your sin. Jesus didn't die on the cross and give up everything so you could have new life, so you could continue living your selfish ways. That wasn't the intention. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sin, that you would be changed through sanctification to be more like Christ. The whole purpose of following Jesus is to be more like him. And church, if your whole life isn't modeled after Jesus Christ, you are not a true disciple. 
As you grow in your relationship with Jesus, as you know Jesus, as you have a relationship that is growing with him, you will become more like him. So my, you say, Thomas, how, how can I test this out? Go to someone who knows you best. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe, maybe it's a child. Maybe, maybe it's a coworker. And you say, hey, question for you. Do you see Jesus in my life? Can, can you see the love of Jesus through me? Like, is there evidence that I've been changed by Jesus? And so oftentimes, especially in my own life, there would be times where I would go and I would be too embarrassed to go and ask anyone that because I know it's not true. I remember myself in college, I would never go and ask someone if, if I was truly, could you see Jesus in me? Why? Because I was too embarrassed because I knew they would say no. Church, this morning... Can people around you see Jesus in you? True disciples are changed by Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ, he's given you new life to change you. He doesn't want you to be the same. He doesn't want you to stay in your sin. He doesn't want you to stay where you're at. He wants you to grow. He wants you to become a disciple of him. Church, this morning, is there a change in your life? evidence that Jesus has changed you. The cost for discipleship is great. Who are true disciples, church? True disciples are those who realize, I want to give up everything to follow Jesus. Nothing in my life is more important than Jesus. Church, is that you? Are you a true disciple? Number two, it's as simple as, is there evidence in your life that you've been changed by the gospel? That brings us to point number two this morning. Point number two is this, true disciples make disciples. True disciples make disciples. I want to go back to Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, where the Bible says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Church, we mentioned this verse at the beginning, and I want to be completely honest with you. From what I've observed, and I don't say this lightly, this is the most overused but unfollowed passage of Scripture in all the Bible. Every church uses this. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples. But I truly believe it's the most unfollowed passage of Scripture. You say, Thomas, why? And here's why. Because in the church, and I'm guilty of this, I grew up thinking the same way. In the church, when you think of making disciples, your first thought is, well, that's the church's job, right? Thomas, that's your job. You're a pastor. That's your job to make disciples. Pastor Ryan, that's your job to go and make disciples. I'm here at church so you can disciple me. Come on. Oh, the elders, you guys are elders of this church so you can make disciples. The leaders and small group leaders, it's your job to make disciples. And I'm just going to come and be discipled. Church, this morning, my fear is that that is your thought. Because that is so far from the truth. God never called us just to be always being discipled. God has called us to go out and make disciples. You see, so oftentimes, this mentality in the church is that, oh, that's just the pastor's job to make disciples. That's not my job. I just go to church and I am the disciple. No, God has called each and every one of you to be a disciple maker. 
You see, God has called every single one of you to go out and make disciples. Church, I want to ask you this question. Imagine how different our church would be if every single one of you followed the Great Commission. If every single one of you were intentionally discipling someone right now, how different our church would be. Imagine how different the churches across America would be if everyone in today's churches obeyed the Great Commission. Imagine how different our world would be today if everyone obeyed the Great Commission. Man, this, this world would be a different place. But yet, so oftentimes, church, and I don't say this lightly, we've fallen into a selfish Christianity. Man, I, I, I go to church. I get fed. I'm in a small group. God hasn't called you to be always just getting fed. It's important that you're feeding yourself. It's so important. But as you are getting filled, God has called you to pour out into other people. This morning, say, Thomas, I, I've never really, I don't know much about what discipleship is. I want to give you three quick points. The first point this morning is this. Discipleship is relational. Discipleship is relational. Church, God is a relational God. God created Adam and Eve to have a relationship with them. Why did Jesus Christ go to the cross? He went to the cross to die in our place so that we could have a relationship once again with God the Father. God created you to have a relationship with him. God is a relational God. God loves relationships. And the same way it is so true of discipleship, discipleship is so heavily involved in relationships. It is so important that you as a disciple maker are investing in relationships. You say, Thomas, I don't like to get outside of my box. I, I have my comfort zone. I don't like people. No, no, God has called you to build relationships for his honor and glory. Discipleship is relational. Number two, discipleship, it, discipleship takes time. Discipleship takes time. I just want to pause and say Jesus had his disciples for three years. Discipleship doesn't happen overnight. You don't just go to one dinner and all of a sudden, boom, you were a baby Christian. Now you're a full-on disciple of Jesus. It doesn't happen in a week. It doesn't happen in a month. Discipleship takes time and it takes years. To have someone that is a baby Christian to grow in their faith and grow in the knowledge of Scripture. Man, when you look at the Bible, it's a big book. Someone that's just saved, how am I supposed to know the whole Bible? Well, he needs someone that's going to come alongside him and teach him the ways of God. Teach him what it means to live in the gospel. He needs someone that's going to come in and invest in his life every single week and keep him accountable and see how he's growing and show him the love of Christ. Church, my question this morning is this. Are you intentionally, relationally spending time to show others Jesus Christ? It takes a lot of your time. And this is where we go back to, if God's not the highest priority in your life, you're not going to put in the time. You see, first, before you can go make disciples, you have to be a true disciple. Church, who's the king of your heart? The last point about discipleship I want to talk about is this. Discipleship is intentional. You should go into a discipleship relationship with the intention of, I am going to invest in you. I'm going to pour in you. I'm going to show you God's love. I'm going to show you God's word. I'm going to show you God's truth for the purpose that you are going to mature as a mature disciple and you are going to go out and disciple. And then they're going to go create a disciple. And then they're going to go create a disciple. And then they're going to create a disciple. And there's this multiplication. There, with each and every person, imagine if each and every person in this room tonight discipled one person over the next year. 
And then over that next year, each person that we discipled went out and discipled someone. And then that person discipled someone. And in five years, the chain of everyone going out, following the Great Commission, and following this discipleship, we would be an incredible church. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. We would be doing incredible things for Jesus Christ's honor and glory. We'd be doing awesome stuff because we're following what God has called us to do. Church, this morning, are you intentionally, relationally investing in making disciples? Church, God has called you to be a disciple maker. Is it my job? Yes. Is it your job? Absolutely. You see, so oftentimes we come to church and we just think we can sit in and we can just listen to the message and that was good. Maybe I'll go to small group this week if I have time. And we miss the point. This life isn't about us. It's all about him. His honor, his glory, his kingdom. And he has called you to be a part of his kingdom, to go out and make disciples. Church, I'm going to ask you this question. Who are you discipling? You know, I was asked that question, it was this summer, and I was sitting by a campfire with different guys, and I was asked the question, Thomas, the guys in ministry, and they said, Thomas, who are you discipling? I thought about it for a second, and I said, well, you know, I, I'm a youth pastor, so I'm discipling a youth group, and they said, oh, well, that, that's good, but who are you intentionally, relationally investing in? Who are you discipling? And I, I thought about it for another second, and I I thought some more and a few seconds went by and I quickly began to get embarrassed because I realized in my life I was so worried about the programs and the events and the calendar and making sure we had the best Sunday night program, the small groups and the all-nighter and the worship night and we were just going to have this great semester in student ministry that I missed the point. Immediately, I heard God telling me, God, I haven't, Thomas, I haven't called you to be an event planner. I haven't called you to be this program organizer. I've called you to be a disciple maker. And here I am as a youth pastor, embarrassed, because I hadn't followed the great commission of going out and making disciples. Church, this morning, God has called you to be a disciple maker. So church, this week, On Friday morning, I'm starting my first disciple. And I'm going to invest in him over the next two years that he may grow and one day he will go be a disciple maker. And then he will be a disciple maker. And he will be a disciple maker. Because there was someone that invested in my life. And he poured into me that I may be a disciple of Jesus. And now God has called me to go and pour into the next generation of disciples. But church, it's not just my job. It's each and every one of you in this room. God has saved you. God has grown you in his spirit. God has done incredible things in your life. Do not be a selfish Christian. Go out and share that with other people. And maybe you say, Thomas, I don't know who to disciple. Well, then today, start praying. Say, God, send me someone I can disciple. God, who can I disciple? I want to be a disciple maker for you. Church, this morning, we looked at at the modern church's biggest problems, and it's this. We think we're disciples when we're truly not. It's going to cost you everything. Church, who's the king of your heart? Is it Jesus? And if not, this morning, let's, let's take some time and say, God, 
I rededicate myself to you. God, I'm yours. I'm so sorry. I'm yours. Number two, God has called you to be a disciple maker. You are a disciple making disciples. And church, our church would be drastically different if every single one of you were to obey God's command of being a disciple maker. But yet we haven't. Church, this morning, can I encourage you with this? Be a disciple who goes out and makes disciples. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, what a privilege, what a blessing it is to know you. God, you have saved us from sin. You've saved us from our own selves. Lord, you've given us new life. Lord, you've been miraculous to us. God, we love you. God, I pray this morning for our church. Lord, I pray that this will be a room filled with people who are true disciples. God, in this moment, I pray if there's anyone who's not a true disciple right now, God, will you touch their hearts? Help them to rededicate in this moment. Say, God, I'm yours. God, you've called us to be true disciples. It costs us everything, but Lord, we gain everything. God, I pray this morning that you be with our church. Help us to be disciple-making disciples. Lord, be with each and every person here. Lay someone on their heart this morning that they can go out and disciple. Lord, you have called us to go and make disciples. God, will you lay on each and every person's heart someone they can go and disciple. God, we will give you all the honor, the glory, the praise for it. God, you are such a good God, and we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name.